This is Terrio Media. Success in real estate has nothing to do with shiny objects. It has everything to do with mastering the basics. The three pillars of real estate investing. Attract, convert, exit. Matt Terrio has been helping real estate investors do just that for more than a decade now. If you want to make money in real estate, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit reiace.com. Here's Matt. Hey, Matt here. Welcome to another episode of the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. It is way back Wednesday. This is the day where we reach back into the archives and pull out old classic episodes. And we've been reaching back into the archives of the Do-Over podcast, the podcast that started it all. And I got another great one for you today. Enjoy. During an era where countless people, businesses, and organizations are feeling the pinch, running out of time, running out of money, losing confidence, feeling as if life is unfair, praying for another chance, and unless something is done, life is going to pass them by. by. Fortunately, in the nick of time, there is now a place where the ignored underestimated and unknown steps to producing results and making life work are revealed. Save your career, save your business, save your health, save your relationships, save your life. Get from where you are to where you want to be faster and with greater ease than you ever thought possible. Say hello to your do-over. Welcome to your do-over, coming to you live from downtown Los Angeles, and this is the place where I show people who want more out of life, people dissatisfied with their current situation, how to start over and begin a new life, setting goals and objectives so they can create wealth and live life to the fullest. You can jumpstart your do-over and lay a solid foundation for a better life by downloading the three pillars of creating the ultimate do-over for free at freedoover.com. It's a 55-minute MP3 audio program that I made just for you with three specific steps on how to get success as you start over. The three pillars of creating the ultimate do-over will put the legs under your table. They will lay the foundation for you to achieve. They will act as your traveling success coach. And they are yours for free at freedoover.com. Okay, so today's show, I want to talk about books. Specifically, those books that literally change our lives. And I mentioned a few briefly at the end of the last episode. Anthony Robbins' book, Awaken the Giant Within. I mean, that book actually transformed me into a different person after I read it. I learned what emotions really mean, why we have them, and how to use them as opposed to them using us. I learned how to actually communicate with myself, how my brain works and the impact the words we use have on our lives. I mean, I've read that book multiple times and it's almost a different book every time I read it because I'm different after each reading. I mean, I'm literally a different person after every time I read it. And Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his other book, Cashflow Quadrant, those two, they turned my life upside down and rendered me completely unemployable. I know if I had these two Kiyosaki books prior to starting my record label back in 94, I don't think there would have been a need for my do-over. I mean, there would be no do-over guy. And what I mean by that is today, my focus isn't necessarily on making money like it used to be. It's more on making assets, creating assets that produce money. 
I mean, if that were my focus in the music business from the very beginning, I'm confident my life would have ended up very, very differently. And The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I mean, that was another real game-changer for me. If for nothing else, just being introduced to the world of virtual assistants. Learning how to delegate. I mean, I've been using freelancers for the last couple of years for editing, uh, web design, logo design, website maintenance. I mean, jobs that need to be done, but they take such a great deal of time. I mean, especially if you have to start from scratch, if you have to learn how to do them yourself before you can actually do them. I mean, the learning is one part, the doing, I mean, that's another part entirely. Those types of tasks can be real time stealers. I mean, in fact, I'm actually hiring a full-time virtual assistant this week as I'm really falling behind on my website maintenance. I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't had a blog post up in weeks. I mean, I haven't had one up in months for my real estate website. And my YouTube account, it's grossly behind and flat out stagnant, really. And my podcast transcriptions, they're behind. So my apologies if you've been looking for the transcriptions. I'm just behind and I'm getting ready to start a new book. I'm getting more coaching clients than I have time for. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't learn a virtual assistance and how to delegate from the four-hour work week. I mean, I was always under the impression that I was going to have to hire employees. I was going to have to expand and, and do this giant company. But the four-hour work week opened my eyes that you can grow and expand without necessarily expanding personnel. You know, that book continues to affect my life three or four some odd years after having read it. And when a friend a couple of years ago introduced me to... Uh, Jeff Olson's book, The Slight Edge. I mean, the distinction within that book, the distinction that every decision matters, I mean, that completely altered my mindset. And my day-to-day activity doesn't even remotely resemble what it did prior to reading that book. I mean, those are four books that have changed my life, and I've read them all multiple times, and I continue to read them again and again. Well, as I alluded to at the end of the last episode, I stumbled upon a new book of which I'm adding to this collection. And in many respects, it's arguably my number one or my number two favorite book of all time. I will be referencing and recommending this book for a very long time to come. The book is The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco. Now, its title, and even the cover art actually, might lead you to believe this is some sort of get-rich-quick book. And if you think that, you'd be right. However, the word quick It's a relative term in relation to the 40-year plan we've all had instilled in us. You know, the go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a good job plan. The plan that says live below your means, pay yourself first and put away 10% of your income in a CD or a 401k with the hopes that by age 65, you'll have enough to retire that plan. Well, in relation to that plan, yes, it is get rich quick. Quick being defined in essentially a decade or less or more like really three to five years. And don't confuse this phrase, get rich quick, with get rich easy. I mean, it's still work. It still takes effort, it takes focus, and it takes patience, and it takes persistence. But the rewards and potential are infinitely greater with essentially the same amount of risk. I mean, if you had to choose between the get rich quick plan and the safe, conservative, get rich slow plan, I mean, if you really stop to analyze the two in the way MJ DeMarco has in his book, well, you'll be able to draw your own conclusions, but I left with a very new distinction. There's a lot more risk in the get rich slow plan. In fact, I left with the idea that the word scam, as it is so often associated with get rich quick, that word scam should probably be more frequently associated with get rich slow. That was my conclusion, at least. Nothing I didn't really already know or didn't really already think 
But now that thought and that belief, that knowledge, it's so much stronger. And if Rich Dad Poor Dad didn't render me certifiably unemployable, MJ DeMarco's Millionaire Fast Lane has sealed the deal. I mean, he put the nail in the coffin. And not that I was contemplating getting a job, but it certainly has me thinking about all of the people that I know that have jobs. It's like if they only knew. I mean, and if you're listening to me right now and you have a job, no worries. No worries. There's nothing wrong here. Just know that you've got to start making your way out. Well, let me clarify. If you want to experience any sort of the good life, any sort of freedom while you're still young enough to really enjoy it, you've got to start creating a plan, a plan to exit the slow lane and get into the fast lane. And I would recommend that your first step is picking up Millionaire Fast Lane ASAP. I mean, if for nothing at all, just to know the difference between the two, the difference between the slow lane and the fast lane. And I think you'll be surprised by what differentiates the two. It's probably not what you think. And then there's the sidewalk also. I mean, that's the most dangerous place to be. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. It's a life changer. And today's episode, we've been blessed to have the author himself on the show, Mr. M.J. DeMarco. M.J., thanks for joining us today. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. You know, to get started, can you give the listeners a little bit of your background and and describe some of your past accomplishments and and what you're up to today, and and then we'll get to your book. Oh, sure. Um, I was the uh, CEO and founder of Limos.com, which was a a global ground transportation aggregator. Basically, if you were looking for ground transportation, say, from the airport, um, you know, from New York to, you know, a suburb or something, you could use my site to find a company. And I started that company, um, you know, when I say CEO and founder, that sounds like a big thing, but really, I just started that company with no experience, uh, no money, started it... um, pretty much self-taught myself everything. Uh, I was always in the library reading books, uh, grew the company to a multi-million dollar valuation, actually sold it twice, sold it once during the uh, dot-com craziness, uh, and the company that ended up buying it went bankrupt, and I ended up buying it back. Uh, Took it back, uh, made it profitable, cash flowed, profited, anywhere um, from five, six figures per month. Uh, And then again, I sold it again in 2007. And that was when I'd like to say retired, although it's more of a semi-retirement. Usually when you say retirement, people think of, you know, you're on the golf course playing bridge. It's not what I was doing. But one of my dreams was to write a book. And the book I wrote is The Millionaire Fast Lane. And my thought process for that was I wanted actually to write a book just to kind of expose the truth about what's going on out there in terms of, you know, personal finance and money. And I wanted to do it without having to upsell my readers into some other uh, seminar or, you know, financial products. Cause I, and I think a lot of your listeners, maybe even yourself will, are familiar with, you know, a lot of these financial books, they seem to be, 300-page upsells into some other program or, uh, you know, a membership website or a $5,000 seminar, and that is something I didn't want to do. So it was my dream to write this book, get it out there, and, you know, see what the market thought about it, and that's where I am in my life right now. Awesome. Yeah, you have an amazing story, and it's 
particularly one of the reasons that I've asked you to come on today. And, uh, and I've also asked you to join me today because of your book. And as it's just now one of those books I'm always going to reference, I'm always going to mention it to others as a must-read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really become one of my favorites really, really fast. I really, really loved it. And I found myself, as I was reading it, were more like, yeah, you, you tell them. That's right. Exactly. You know, right. <laughs> like, what's everyone's problem? Why doesn't everybody get this? I mean, there's just so much brilliance within your work, and there's so much that I want to discuss with you. And I know we're, we're somewhat limited on time. But it was really tough to narrow down what to discuss. And I, I guess that's just why everyone's going to go after go out and, and get it and read it for themselves. But what was really tough for me was to formulate questions because the book just seems to be filled and replete with answers. I mean, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and having said that, there were a few distinctions, though, that really jumped out at me. One in particular with regard to when someone might ask you how to get rich. And although that you likely have an answer for them, your initial advice would be more along the lines of stop doing what's making you poor. Can one be done independently of the other, or is one more important than the other? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, as you may have read in the book, I think it's a formula. Mm-hmm. And if you, skip the for- if you skip parts of the formula, you're going to have problems. It's like, you know, if you're going into the kitchen to bake a cake, and someone says, hey, well, let's try to bake this cake without the flour. Can we do it? Obviously, the answer is no. Um, I think you need the entire formula, and that's why the front half of my book actually goes into why most people will never get rich. Um, It's because they're they're not using the entire formula. They're using part of the formula. They're using a road-focused plan, which, you know, something like, uh, you know, invest in real estate or or start a business. Those are road-focused strategies. They don't address the entire formula. I mean, a great example I love to use is, I just posted this on my forum, 10 NFL superstars that went bankrupt. Well, these people made millions and millions of dollars over the years, and now they're bankrupt. Well, obviously, they had an approach to make money, but they missed the entire formula, which is why now they're bankrupt. So I believe you have to have the entire formula, um, and that is one of the reasons why the book is so damn long. It's one of the feedbacks I get. It's awfully long. It's because I wanted to put the entire formula in there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's, uh, and I was kind of bummed it wasn't on audio because I'm such an audio guy. So it's probably the, the first book that I've actually read in quite a long time, but I did read it from cover to cover. You know what? There wasn't a wasted word in there. It was really a, a really nice page turner. Um, another very interesting distinction that you expound on to, in great, great length is that, you know, get rich quick. It carries a very negative connotation within our society. And, and the first word often to come to mind when hearing get rich quick is the word scam. Mm-hmm. But if I read it right, if I, if I read this right, should one leave your book with the ideal that get rich slow, as most of the country has been taught to do, is an, is an even bigger scam? Oh, I truly believe it's a big scam. It's, it's a big scam. It's uh, as risky, if not more riskier. And it's because it's predicated on a whole idea of hope and time um, and 40 years of hope and time. I mean, think about it. If you don't have a job, can you save money? If the stock market doesn't give you 8% for 40, 50 years, 
can you save money? I mean, it's predicated on all kinds of factors that you can't control. And you're supposed to do this for 40, 50 years, and then one day when you're 70 years old, you know you're going to be rich. And the other thing about the plan is it is just a mindless indoctrination into mediocrity. I mean, it's training people to think small, to think mediocre. I mean, some advice is, you know, you've got to stop going out to dinner uh, you know, spending money on expensive Starbucks, spending money on expensive meals at restaurants. Well, you know, there's research that says that social spending is a is a core component of happiness. Social spending is going out with your friends and, you know, spending time with them. And yet, you know, the slow lane, the get rich slow plan is pre- is pretty much pleading to us to say, you know what? Accept a life of mediocrity. And, you know, I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to live my life. Absolutely not. You know, can, can you quickly just describe the difference between the the sidewalk, the slow lane, and the fast lane? Sure. I mean, I cover. I cover. There's there's pretty much three paths in my book that say you know this is the path that you're on or you um, that most people subscribe to. And the sidewalk is basically a plan where there is no plan. Basically, you take every dime you earn, whether it's from your paycheck or from your business profit or your last music gig, whatever you're making, you are spending. You spend it immediately on the next great gadget. You look good in a nice new car. You live in a house that's huge. The bottom line is whatever you're making, you spend. There's no savings and there's no plan. And I like to say that the sidewalk really doesn't care how much money you make because it's never about the money you're making. It's about what you're spending. Uh, this is why we have these NFL athletes going bankrupt. It's because they are making the big money, but they're also spending the money. They have no financial plan. A, a saying I like to say is sidewalkers. Um, you know, the poor sidewalkers are worried to death about their $900 mortgage. Well, there's rich sidewalkers that are worried about their $9,000 mortgage. I mean, the, the worries are the same. It's just the the, sea, the scenery is different. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the sidewalk, and it's usually people that are just all they're concerned about is instant gratification. Where's the next fix? Uh, a lot of them engage in get rich quick type things. You know, they play the lottery, they go to the casinos. Um, you know, they they look for the those events of wealth, which unfortunately do not exist. Mm-hmm. And the slow lane. It's actually a graduation from the sidewalk. Usually a sidewalker becomes a slow winner. The sidewalker says, you know what, this isn't working. I got no money. You know, I'm in debt. So the sidewalker graduates to the slow lane. And the slow lane is pretty much what we've been taught by the mainstream financial gurus. A lot of our parents, colleges, this is what they teach. And what they teach is go to school, graduate, get a job, save 10% of your paycheck, Put it in the stock market for 50 years because after 50 years, it's going to be worth billions and billions of dollars. Uh, live mindlessly frugal. Stop drinking the expensive coffee. Buy a used car. Cancel all those movie channels. Just live an existence of mediocrity, and then one day your shining moment of retirement will come when you're 70 years old. That's the slow lane. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned to you before, it's predicated on hope and time because millions of people are discovering, gee, if I don't have a job, that plan doesn't work. Or if the job I have is totally underpaying me what I'm worth, that plan doesn't work. 
But gee, when the stock market loses 40% of your money in one year, like it has recently, mm-hmm. that plan doesn't work. So that's the slowing, and I believe that is just a bigger gamble than what people say, oh, you know, starting a business, that's risky. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you want to take a 40-year gamble and you think that's not risky? Right. So those are the two, um, the sidewalk and the slowing and the fast lane is a controllable uh, strategy that involves, obviously, entrepreneurship, starting a business that fundamentally solves a need in the marketplace or a pain point or a problem, and scaling that to a large audience. And it does, when I say large audience, doesn't mean it has to be the masses. It could be a niche community. It could be a smaller group, but it's scaled where you have the opportunity to impact millions. And the fast lane is something that removes the hope and time with control and leverage. And this is why I like to say, you know, you know, get rich quick sounds negative, but it exists. That's because the people that leverage a fast lane have control and leverage. They control their business. A pink slip can't derail them. An economic reset doesn't impact them as much. You know, they're not bound by the limitations of mathematics, which is, you know, 24 hours in a day or an annual salary, which, again, is predicated, uh, you know, pegged to time. Mm-hmm. So those are the three roads, fast lane, slow lane, sidewalk. Got it. When I first heard of the analogy of using the sidewalk, the slow lane, the fast lane, I kind of thought I knew what it meant. But uh, I, after reading, I really did, and you've put so much time and effort and thought process into this to, to create those three distinctions. They're, they're really useful tools. Uh, you know, you generously share about, in, in the book, before your success, you share about your, your many struggles and your challenges and, and your failures and the failed businesses, the failed opportunities, and your interaction or your experience with MLMs and, and mm-hmm. how you were a late-night infomercials ideal customer. Mm-hmm. What was it about the... The, I was too at one time, by the way. Um, <laughs> what was it about the limo.com business that was different? I mean, what clicked and allowed you to finally experience a significant success? Uh, in a, actually, approaching the marketplace based on what it needed versus what I wanted. Uh, and that's, I see one of the problems today I see in a lot of these motivational books, a lot of these entrepreneur books, is they're so self-centered that it makes me laugh. And it's like, it's like teaching people, oh, you are special. The universe will give you what you want because you love doing this. Oh, it's your passion. So, you know, it's all bullshit. Uh, the marketplace doesn't care about what you love and what your passion is. It just wants to know, like a selfish kid, what the hell can you do for me? And, you know, a great example I'd love to use is if you were selling ice in the Arctic, does it matter if you love doing it? Right. No, because the market doesn't need it. You can love it, you can be passionate, you can do whatever you want, but the market doesn't need it. So my turning point was to realize, you know, I've got to start looking at the marketplace, at what it needs, what it wants, find a customer, people that will give you money for something you offer, meaning there's a need for it, versus attacking the market based on, oh, I love doing this, so I'm going to do it. And I think, I, I call those people do-what-you-lovers. Do-what-you-lovers, do it, and they're broke. That's because no one needs it. Or everyone is doing what they love, which means the margin in the space is so crowded that you have to lower your price and you don't make a profit. Mm-hmm. 
So to answer your question, I believe the first thing, the breakthrough I had was attacking the marketplace based on a fundamental need that existed and versus saying, you know, I like doing this, so I'm going to go do that. Got it. Okay. Well, after the initial sale of the limo.com business, you tell the story about how you walked through a significant portion of your proceeds really, really fast. You know, and although you had made a good chunk of change, I mean, you still had somewhat of a sidewalk mindset. Was there a pivotal moment where you left the sidewalk for the fast lane for good, or was it a gradual uh, exit? No, it, it was um, it was a. I'm, I'm picturing a frying pan over my head. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I I found the sidewalk by experience through, through my own wisdom. Uh, you know, my first installment check I got a years ago when I sold my company was two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I immediately pretty much blew half of it. You know, the cars, the nice clothes, and all of the and. and you know, I realized, you know, after the technology implosion, I realized, wow, I'm pretty much broke again. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's when I realized, you know what? It, 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 it's, it's not, it's as important as what you're making as what you are spending. So, and I also moved through my finance background that, you know what? If you can accumulate a large sum of money, Making three, four, five, six percent interest on that could yield a substantial amount of money per month, one hundred percent passively. Mm-hmm. So that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to start saving most of what I make, and that may scare a lot of people. But when you're making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month, saving one hundred and forty thousand of it is pretty easy uh-huh. because. You just have to keep your expenses in check. I didn't blow up my expense line with cars and stuff I didn't need. So, yeah, I mean, that came through experience. That's sidewalk. Uh, I, you know, I think all of us start our lives on the sidewalk. I mean, I know I did. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned in the beginning of your entrepreneurial pursuits that support from your friends and your family was noticeably waning with each failure to the point where, you know, you really had no support at all. And correct me if I, if I read that wrong. And many of the listeners of this show, they suffer from lack of support from their friends and family and oftentimes, most tragically, their significant other. Mm-hmm. Did you have like a certain mindset or strategy that enabled you to persevere despite the lack of support from your environment? And how would you advise someone today to stay focused and motivated under the same conditions? I think the lack of support is pretty common because when you step out what's normal, I mean, this fast lane stuff is considered abnormal. The normal is to go get a job and follow the advice. Mm-hmm. Invest in your 401k. Do, that's normal. So when you step outside of normal, you're going to encounter resistance. And I think the resistance actually fueled me to rebel. I'm, I consider myself a rebellious type. So the more I saw that mentality, the more I wanted to rebel against it. So how did I uh, trudge forward? Really? Books. Books. I buried myself in books. People who thought like me, people who could teach me, people who were investors, entrepreneurs. One of the books I I think I read probably four or five times was uh, Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. So anytime I found myself getting set back by what society was telling me what I should be doing versus what I wanted to do, I'd bury myself in a book. 
the power of a book is really, I think, is the most underestimated thing we have. If you pick up, like, for instance, if someone here picks up my book and reads it, essentially they're having lunch with me for nine hours. I mean, you can go pick up a book by Tony Robbins. You're going to have lunch with him for 10 hours. You can pick up a book by Donald Trump. You're going to have lunch with him for a few hours. I mean, anytime you read a book by one of these authors that has something critical to tell you, you're having lunch with them. So that's what I did. I mean, when I had uh, my business, or excuse me, when I was working as a limo driver, I had so much downtime, I'd sit in the back of the cab and I would read. So while I was waiting for planes at the airport, I was reading a book. Every time I sit on the toilet, I read a book. Every time <laughs> I go in my car, I have an audio book. So I'm always constantly filtering my mind with things that support my objectives and my goals. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you'd... Uh mentioned Awaken the Giant Within because I'm sitting here trying to decide what is my favorite book of all time. Is it that one or yours, believe it or not? So, yeah, I've read that book and probably. And you thought mine was long. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yours is a, yours is a, a breeze. <laughs> it's like reading a, yeah, awesome. You know, when it comes to, to doing over in life, or anything for that matter, I mean, it's important to learn from past mistakes that you don't find yourself doing over again. And you cover this, I think, brilliantly in your chapter about hitchhikers and the difference between being responsible and accountable. Can you kind of expound on that and maybe go into a little bit more what is the law of victims also? Well, a lot of people are struggling financially because they have given up control. The law of victims basically says as soon as you give control over to somebody else, you become subjected to becoming a victim. And this is why we have millions of people who are struggling financially because they gave the power to the economy. They gave the power to a business that can say, hey, you know, we don't need you anymore. We're laying you off. So when you lose control, that's when we have these financial failures. A lot of these financial failures have nothing to do with, you know, bad decisions or bad choices. It's just that people fall into what they were told to follow. So responsibility and accountability is about recognizing the mistake you made or the choices you made and then adjusting your actions in the future to become accountable. A great example is if you are over, if you are admitting responsibility to overdrafting your checking account, yet you continually do it week after week, that means you're being responsible, but you're not being accountable because you're not modifying your behavior. So as a hitchhiker, hitchhikers like to climb onto someone else, uh, climb onto some other entity or some other foundation, and then they ride the coattails. That sets them up for being disappointed. A great example is if you join an affiliate marketing company and you help sell a company's product, and then the affiliate company decides to change the terms and immediately you're out of business. We just saw this with Amazon in California when they disrupted and they canceled 25,000 affiliates in California and people were screaming, oh my God, I use this money to, uh, you know, to help. Well, within one swift stroke, it's gone because they were hitchhiking onto another company. I like to say, you know, you got to stop hitchhiking. You need to be the driver so no one can pull those strings on you. Same happens in multi-level marketing. I was in four network marketing companies. 
One company I did pretty good with, but eventually it ended because the company ended up changing things. They swooped out the rug from under me, and wham, within a few months, my income was gone. It's a hitchhiking relationship where someone has the power to disrupt what you're doing, and that's a, that's a, a formula that has a high level of risk into it, and I suggest avoiding that. Right. You know, as this is the do-over show, the theme being taking people's hindsight and transforming it into one's foresight, you know, learning from others' mistakes, it can be a significant shortcut of sorts. Can you give at least one, more if you wish, but can you give at least one invaluable lesson that you learned from a past failure or failed attempt, specifically the type of lesson or mistake you swear you'll never make again? Oh. Well, well, (laughs) The worst mis- decision I've made wasn't business related. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to hear about that? <laughs> sure. I mean, it, this is not a business show. Um, it's, it has to do with doing yeah, over with yeah, anything. Okay. I did say it in my book, so it's not like a secret or anything. I, I just I bought a beautiful house that I loved on the mountain, and it just needed to be remodeled. And I and I hired a contractor without a significant diligence check and a six month project. Uh, turned into a three-year ordeal. I ended up getting very sick. Um, And you know what? It was my fault. You know, that's the responsibility, accountability thing we just talked about. It was my fault. I made the decision. Who's the idiot? The idiot himself or the idiot who hires the idiot? (laughs) So, you know, now in the future, you know, I do a diligence check if I'm hiring somebody. I mean... I even go as far as to check, you know, if I go on a date, I'll, I'll Google the woman's name. Or, I mean, I do diligence checks now. I right. just so again, that's that was probably the worst decision I made in my life, probably because I got sick during that process. And health is one of the main constituents of wealth. And if you don't have health, you don't have wealth. Right. Right. You know, I always like to end interviews on a positive note. So, MJ, up to this point in your life, what are you most proud of? Um, being able to help people, being able to actually do what I love and not have to worry about money. And that's mm-hmm. one of the fundamental differences I talk about is, you know, I can write a book. I can reach people. I get emails every day from people saying, you've changed my life. I see things totally different now. Things are crystal clear. And I can do that without having to worry about, oh, my God, I've got to sell more. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And that's, that's the power of a fast lane is you can actually literally do what you love and not have to worry about the money. You can, I, an example I use is I play piano, but I suck at it. Well, I can do it. Because I love it, I can do it all day and not have to worry about money. As soon as you enter money into an equation, that what you love has the potential to be turning into what you hate. And that's a distinction I want people to realize. So um, for me, it's just getting up every day, having freedom, and not having to wake to an alarm clock, just waking up and saying, you know, what do I want to do today? Maybe... I want to blog, maybe I want to write, maybe I want to interview with a guy in California named Matt. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, I really appreciate that. Um, what's so with so much amazingness in in your past? I mean, what's in your future that really excites you? The unknown. I have no idea. <laughs> That's what excites me is the unknown. Is 
I mean, I get, I get, hey, you got to write another book. I loved your book. I say, I don't know. I didn't write it to become a guru. I didn't write it to write multiple books. I have no idea. And that's what is so exciting to me. I could have another startup. I may just do another semi-retirement, sit on my butt. I have no idea. Uh-huh. And that's what I love is I have, I feel as if the world is my oyster and I have all these choices available to me. And that's the beauty of it. Uh-huh. Nice. You know, if people want to learn more about UMJ and the Millionaire Fast Lane, where would you recommend that they go? Uh, there's a bunch of places. If they're interested in the book, it's themillionairefastlane.com. Uh, it's on Amazon. There's like 120 reviews, 130 reviews there if, if they want to look more into it. If you want to learn more about the strategy without buying the book, there's a lot of stuff there too. The fastlaneforum.com is a forum that is discusses the Fastlane strategy and also a blog at fastlaneentrepreneurs.com. So there's a lot of information out there that people can assess without actually having to buy the book if they, that's what they want to do. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I'll, take a, uh, I'll take a note of all of those domain names and I'll put them in the show notes and attach them to this podcast. So thank you for that. Great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks for the time uh, you've taken to share your story and your insight. And thank you for writing your amazing book and sharing that with us. You know, and there's, there's just so much stuff in the book that we did not get to cover and and actually, I think I'll probably find myself referencing it on this show for a long time to come. I hope you don't mind. No, not at all. And, very good. And I know the listeners of this show are going to have a bunch of questions for you. I mean, I'm sure they're bursting with questions. So when I get a decent collection of those questions, would would it be would you be open to coming back on the show to help me answer them? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot, MJ. You have an awesome day, and thanks for spending your time with the Your Do-Over Show. You bet. Thanks, Matt. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so, in case you couldn't tell, and in case I didn't quite make it clear, I love this book. And I personally think it should be required reading for young people before they make all of their life mistakes. And for older folks like me as well, so they know that they still have a chance. They can still change lanes. If they want to, of course. So next episode, I got another great guest. A great guest in the sense that I think it's safe to assume we all want freedom, yes? I mean, if you don't want freedom, then that's okay with me. It's your life. But I think it's safe to assume that's what we all want. We all want freedom. And anyone can go out and get it, but not everyone will. And I recently met a gentleman with a very unique company that will essentially go out and get your freedom for you. And depending on the value you place on your freedom, and the price for his service, it's nominal. It's nominal because he's created a business model where other people pay for your freedom, but in a way that everybody wins. It's not a pyramid scheme, by the way. It's not multi-level marketing. And not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just not what this is. I mean, nobody loses in his model. In fact, it's in his company's best interest that you actually get your freedom. I mean, it's really ingenious and I can't wait to share it with you. So that's it for today. God loves you and so do I. I am Matt, the do-over guy, and I will see you on the next episode of Your Do-Over. Thank you for tuning in to Your Do-Over, where the ignored, underestimated, and unknown steps to producing results and making life work are revealed. And remember, knowledge is potential power. Take action action on what you learned today. This is not your learn-over. It's your do-over.
To view the resources referenced in today's show and to retrieve a complete show transcript, visit www.thedooverguy.com. Stay connected with Matt the Do-Over Guy Terrio on Twitter at The Do-Over Guy and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash dooverguru. 